Hey, what's going on, TLC? What's going on, peeps? Love to see you guys. Beautiful people, everyone at home. Happy Father's Day, yeah? Happy Father's Day. Hey, if you guys are at home, you guys are online, and you guys are typing, type out the names of all the fathers you know. Uh, give them some love today. I love Father's Day. It's my first time waking up. Not my first time. It's like, you know, but being able, Seth is old enough now where he started making me crafts and stuff. It's amazing, okay? Wake up, I have a little mug waiting for me, a picture. It's cute. I didn't think I thought that would ever be cute, but it's actually kind of cute, right? So I appreciate that. And for some of you guys, maybe your father hasn't been around or you've lost your father like myself, you know, give a shout out to all the spiritual fathers in the house, right? All the spiritual fathers that you uh, call, uh, that you have, that has helped you walk with you during this time. Give some love, like them, heart them, whatever it is that we do online nowadays, all right, for that. Hey guys, uh, good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. Good to have. I'm supposed to look at this camera. I'm, I'm supposed to look at both cameras. I, I, I'll just, just, just raise your hand when you tell me to look at you guys. So I know where to look. Okay. All right. So, uh, <laughs> and you know, um, the, the the word of God is not. Uh, it's true when it says this: that when we come together and we begin to build our lives into one another. That's when the, the Spirit of God dwells. That's where the Spirit of God dwells. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, I love hearing Chris on TV. I love um, seeing him sing. And I love watching Jeremiah and Justin do their thing across the screen as they pray and lead us in wor- uh, worship all those months and weeks ago. But there is something about gathering here, right, that you sense and you feel the presence of God here. So the past two weeks, what we've been doing is we've been just kind of doing a kind of a, a dry run, a soft opening, if you have, with just our leaders, those who are comfortable coming, right? But next week, starting next Sunday, the June 28th, mark your calendars if you are comfortable, right? If you are comfortable to come, we've set up the system. I'm pretty sure the system is good, right? Uh, We'll find out. If next week, everyone dies here, then we're, we're in trouble. But I'm pretty sure no one's gonna ha- none of that's going to happen, right? <laughs> right? But, but next week, right, next week, uh, we're going to invite uh, you guys, if you're comfortable, to come back to TLC and come and worship with us here in this place, 1230. Come out. There's, there's a huge system. You have, you, have to, you have to check in with something on your phone, and then you got to do your temperature, and then you got to, like, do this kind of snake path to get into this room. And then once you're in this room, there's, like, spots where you for you to sit in. It's good, all right? It's a good spot and it's a good place. So if you're comfortable, come back and worship with us. I get it. It's easy and it's simple to worship at home. I remember Trisha and I, we had a tradition. We made a tradition for, like, you know, the weeks that we've been at home. We ordered dim sum, and while I'm preaching to myself, I'm eating dim sum in, uh, in, in, in the room. And it's, it's, it's nice, it's comfortable, it's, it's convenient, but there's something missing about having the presence of God there. And I really believe um, gathering together has that. But... To your own discretion, I want you guys to be safe. I don't want you guys to freak out, and I don't want you guys to cancel me if uh, you guys get sick. So um, next week, June 28th, come out, okay? I will see you guys then. All right, we are in a series called When the Church Was a Family. When the Church Was a Family. You know, this series was originally, I wrote the series, the heart of the series was when this whole COVID thing is over, finally, right? When we gather back together as a community, I, I designed this, this, uh, this series to actually kind of get our community back to remembering the why that drives us, right? The, the, the part of this, the heart of this series of when the church was a family was to get us to kind of remember the why in which we gather together, the why in which we live our lives, the why in which we do what we do for the world, okay? But as I 
wrote that, you know, and then our nation got into this humongous, um, went on a humongous journey of its own, right? This, this series now adds on a new dimension. And my hope for it is not only do we understand as a Christian, as a brother and sister in the family of God, those who call my brothers and sisters here, the sons and daughters here, right, calls this place home. As a believer, not only am I supposed to gather with my people, understanding why I gather, but also this series was to help, is meant to help create a framework, right, a framework for you to be able to interact with the narrative that we see happening in our country today. That when we understand why, then as a believer, then we have a, a, a correct framework to be able to, to communicate, to interact with our, the narrative that's going on into our country this day. And I hope that as Christians, you're able to do that faithfully. Because again, right, it doesn't matter how many books you read, it doesn't matter how many articles you go through, it doesn't matter how many documentaries you watch, the Bible in and of itself is sufficient to teach us and guide us in how to walk this, work, walk this world, okay? So that's my spew. We're going to go to Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 14. Last week, last week we talked about when the church was a family, the gospel is the foundation by which we live. Meaning the gospel bears witness into our hearts. What God has done, what Jesus Christ has done with his life, his death, and his resurrection, that gospel bears witness to our hearts, changing us, molding us, shaping us, and then we ourselves are to bear that gospel forward into this world, to have a narrative into this world that is seasoned and salted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And here in Romans chapter 13 that we're going to be looking at is when the church was a family, not only does the gospel bear witness to your heart and you bear witness to the gospel to the world around you, you begin to recognize that as a family, love is the highest ethics of our relationship. Love, love is the very, it's, it's the foundation, it's, the, it's one of the whys in which we go and do what we do as we bear the gospel forward. Okay? Let's talk, today we're going to talk about love. Everybody at home say love. Love. All right, we're going to talk about love today. But I got to give you some context between Romans because Romans is a great book. And I've been, preach I've been teaching through it on my TGF for three years. I've been, we've been doing Romans for three years. We're finally at Romans chapter 13. Right? It took us three years to get there, but it's good. You know, if you, if you ever have a chance to study any book, study the book of Romans because it will change your life forever. Any, any man, woman who's ever in history, Christian history, who has studied the book of Romans, literally had their heart just transformed because in it is the most beautiful picture of the gospel. And Paul says, the gospel has power to change lives, okay? So let me give you some context about Romans real fast before I get into this idea of love, okay? You guys following me? Yeah? We good? Yes, yes? All right. Romans. Paul goes from chapter 1 to chapter 11, 11 chapters, Paul sits down and he writes to this church in Rome who happens to believe in Jesus. They don't have any foundation for why they believe in Jesus. They just really saw what he did. They went back to Rome. They said, we're starting a church. We're starting a community. We're following after Jesus. This guy is legit. They had no background. And so Paul hears about them, writes them this letter from chapter 1 through 11, and he lays down the picture of the gospel to them. And there's this amazing picture that he paints. He, he shares with them, this is where you were, helpless, unwilling, 
undeserving, incapable of wanting God. And yet God did not leave you there. He brought his son. This is who Jesus is. He brought his son to you, right, to bring you out of this, to bring life into you. His life, his death, his resurrection gives you some, a, a standing in his family. And the implications of all of that is that you will never lose your place before God. That there's nothing on this earth that will separate you from God. If you are called his, nothing will separate that. And this amazing good news from chapter 1 through 11, he begins to lay it out for us. And if we are good stewards of the word of God, we begin to recognize the beauty of this gospel. And then we get to chapter 12. Chapter 12 onward is this. You see, when people talk about religion... Guys, when people talk about church and Christianity, they think like the whole religion thing is meant to be kind of to make you feel good inside. It's kind of like it's, it's this whole emotional thing, spiritual thing to make you feel like you're a good person and that's it. Actually, no. Paul is saying in light of all of this, 1 through 11 of what has been done for you, what he has done for you, now this is what you are to do for others. Chapter 12 on is now your relationship with everybody else. You guys follow me? Right? From chapter 12 onward, it is your personal relationship, how you are to deal with the world around you now. So chapter 12, it talks about this. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, one, because the gospel has bear witness to your heart. Because the gospel has begun to change you. Because you recognize who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Now, your relationship to God has changed. Can I ask you a question? Do you really recognize that your relationship with God has changed? How is your relationship with God? Because Paul is saying your relationship to God now is a living sacrifice to him. That your life is no longer yours, but you are constantly, daily, offering your life up as a sacrifice to God. How often do we actually do that? Or how is it more, maybe more likely what we do is we offer ourselves to whatever we want, right? See, in view of God's mind, this is, in view of what God has done, 1 through 11, this is how you should react with God now. But he, he, he goes further than that. Not only do you react with God differently now, you also react with people in your community, your church differently, your brothers and sisters differently. Because of the gospel bearing witness to your heart changing you, the way in which you have relationship with people has to change. You are to do what? You are to serve them. You have been given a gift, you have been given your talents, and the worst thing you can do is just sit there and do nothing with it. The gifts, the talents that God has given to you, the spiritual gifts he's given to you, is meant for you to use it to serve. How often do you come to church? Rather to serve, you seek here to be served. Because if that's the case, you know what that tells me? You know what that should tell you? Maybe the gospel hasn't bear witness to your heart. Because all you, if all you do is you come to be served, you come and you ask, what can this service give to me? What can Pastor Tony's message give to me? What can the praise team offer me? What does the prayer do for me? Then you have lost the picture of what God is saying. You probably do not have the gospel in your heart. Because as the gospel bear witness to your soul, the response and love and relationship to the people around you is to what? To serve. The question you should be asking when you come to the community is, what can I give to this place? What can I offer to this place? But he goes even further here in terms of relationship. 
Okay? He goes into chapter, uh, deeper into chapter 12. He says, not only that, but when the gospel begins to bear witness to your heart, the way in which you live that gospel out is this. Not only do you love your brothers and sisters in the church, you love your enemies. You love your enemies. Those who do you wrong, do not repay wrong. Don't do wrong with wrong. He says, repay goodness for wrong. See, here's the thing. What Paul is saying is if you, if you, if you take something that you see as unjust that's happening and you use an unjust way to deal with them, you may get them back. Because you, you say, I, I cancel those guys out. They're done. They're never going to cause problems anymore. But the problem is that you don't realize is that the evil that drives them, because it's not just about them, the evil that drives them now passes to you. And the way that you've done whatever you've done to get them back, now that evil is resonating in you, you are now its pawn to do its work upon this way. You may think you're justified and looking good because you got rid of one, but you just became the pawn of another. See, Paul is saying it's not about the person who's doing evil. It's recognizing the evil behind the person. And the only way to defeat that evil is that you love your enemy. You love the one who does the evil. Crazy, right? Crazy, right? This is how the Christian is to respond in light of chapter 1 through 11. Now here it gets to the last part. This is more relevant for us today. Is then how then is Christians supposed to respond when it comes to the state, to the country, to the world in which you live, to the nation in which you reside? How are you as a Christian supposed to deal with this country. The early parts of chapter 13 was like, here, here's your role as a Christian. Here's your role in the state. Here's your role in the country. And here's the state's role for you. And these two things are set up. Now, based on this, Paul is saying, as the gospel bears witness to your heart, you are to do something for your country. And guess what? It's going to be love, right? In every aspect of the things that he's talked about from child, chapter 12 to now, it's about love. Love your God sacrificially. Love your brothers and sisters by serving them. Love your enemies by doing good to them. And ultimately, Paul's going to say here, what we're going to get to is, love your country and do good for your country. Love the state in which you have. And even more than that, maybe it's this. Love not just your country, if that's too like, big and, and broad for you, love your state. If California is still, still too big for you, love your neighborhood. Right? Your city. If city is too big for you, love your neighborhood. But if that is still too big for you, then Paul is saying, then love your neighbor. Can you begin to think about loving your neighbor? This is how you are to respond to this country. Love, loving it, blessing it. So, that's the context. You guys get me? The whole idea here, chapter 12 and onwards, Paul is saying, in view of 1 through 11, now, now, this is what you do. You are to have a new relationship with everyone, a new relationship with everyone, have a new relationship with God. The way you have treated God, the way you have used God for your own benefit, the way you've turned to God, have a different relationship. God is not like that. Have a different relationship to people in your church. Stop using them for your own benefit. Stop thinking you're better than them or worse than them. Come to them to serve them. Your enemies, stop looking at your enemies as people that are evil, and therefore you should return evil with them, but actually look at your enemies and say, hey, I recognize the evil that's behind you. Let me love you that I may defeat that enemy with you. And ultimately, here now, we're in this country. 
We are called to love and bless this place. So check this out. I only got two points because the introduction was kind of long. I know you guys are like, yes. But the first point is really long, okay? So check this. So Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 10. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 10. Paul is going to say, this is how you're going to love your state. This is how you're going to love the country in which you reside. This is how you are to have this new relationship with the world around you. You guys see how this is relevant? Right? As a church, my hope is that you have relevance to each other in terms of the way you love your neighbors, but ultimately this has relevance to the, the narrative of our country. So check this out. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 10. He says, let no debt remain outstanding. So Paul is very clear here. If you owe someone, pay him back. He said, look, if you owe taxes, pay your taxes. That's what he says in verse 7. Don't, don't skip out on your taxes. You owe your taxes. You better pay it back. But he says this, the only debt that you do not pay back. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is saying that the Christian, God's children, God's family, the community that bears his name, we have an ongoing debt of love to, guess what, our country, our state, our city, our neighborhood, our neighbors. We, our relationship to the world around us is that we have a debt of love for them, and it's ongoing. It does not stop. This is a continual debt of love that we are to pay, constantly paying off this love constantly offering this love. He's saying this, our relationship in our society is that we have a love debt to it. What does that mean? That means that we seek for its good. You seek for the good of the place in which you live. You seek for its peace, God's peace upon you. You seek for God's flourishing. You seek for the benefit of the place in which you live. To seek for the overall harmony on prosperity. That's how you begin to say, that's how you begin to at least walk and imagine your relationship to the world around you. You wake up in the morning, the first thing you do before you step outside your door, you should be asking and reminding yourself, I have a debt of love to this world that I'm about to step into. I have a debt of love to my neighbors I'm about to meet. I have a debt of love to the city which I'm about to work in. I have a debt of love to the state that I'm about to pay taxes for. I have a debt of love to this country in which I reside in. There is a debt of love. I need to seek to seek its prosperity, to seek its good, to seek its shalom, its peace. I have a debt of love to seek its harmony and its flourishing. That's the mindset, that's the relationship you are to walk as believers. And look, guys, I don't know where you came from. I didn't write this mug. I'm just a mailman. I deliver it. And the Bible says you have to have a new relationship with the place in which you live. So at least give me a second to understand that before you uh, start, you know, turning off your monitors and screens, right, or checking out. Look at, the, look at look what he says. Because it's not only just, okay, I'm gonna, so I'm, what am I supposed to do, PT? Am I supposed to go out there and just love? I love my country, right? I love my state, I love my city, I love my neighbor. I know you guys talk like that, but this, this, this is how I think in my head, okay? What does love look like? Check this out. He uses the what? The commandments. He says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Do you know what those are? 
Those are four of the Ten Commandments, right? The first four commandments, no other gods, no idols. Do not take God's name in vain. Sabbath, right? Those are the commandments to what? Love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And guess what number five to number ten is? It is to love your fellow man. To love your fellow man. Here's the thing. This is, this is what I love. And this is, I think this is the mistake a lot of Christians we make. A lot of people who are, they get into the religious aspect, they, they think about this. You think that the laws are there as guidelines for you? It's like, if I do this, God's going to love me. Do you think the Ten Commandments is actually guidelines so that God will love you? No. You know what the Ten Commandments are? They're love lines. Yeah, I said it. They're love lines. This is how God says, you want to, you want to love your neighbor, right? You want to know what love looks like, how to do good for those around you? Then follow the law. The law and love goes together. You can't love your neighbor if you're coveting his wife. I'm just sorry. It doesn't work that way. You can't love your neighbor if you're trying to kill them, right? Makes sense. You can't love your neighbor if you're, trying, if you're lying to them. You can't love your neighbor if you're stealing from them. Paul is saying the heart of the law of God is not guidelines so that God will accept you. The heart that God placed out in these commandments was this. Do you love your neighbor? And he said, like, yeah, I'm going to love my neighbor. Then this is how you do it. My laws is going to teach you. My laws is going to be the line by which you draw and which you reference to love your neighbor. So if you have it in your brain, guys, and this is something I need you guys to understand. If you have it in your brain that the Bible is all about things set up to keep you down, to keep you from, from, from experiencing life, to keep you from um, enjoying pleasure, you got it wrong. The guidelines in the Bible was meant so that you can love your neighbor. You recognize that? The relationship of the law is love. Love and the law goes together. If you want to love others, you will do what? You will obey God's command. That's what Paul is saying. In love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is just following the law. Now, here's the thing. Check this out. Check this out. Okay? For a lot of us, this is a hard concept to hold on to. For the modern man and the modern woman, this is a hard concept to hold on to. You know why? Because it's check, uh, oftentimes... We know that the truth will hurt somebody, right? If we tell them the truth, we know it's going to hurt them. And so what do we do? We, we lie, right? We lie. But, but, but we think that by lying to them, we are doing what? Loving them, right? But the law tells us if you really want to love your neighbor, you ought not to do what? Lie to them. You ought not to lie to your neighbors. But we believe that by lying to them, we're loving them. You know, it's actually that. You, you, you've, you've got the picture wrong. You know why you do that? You would say, I'm just trying to love them. You're not loving them. You know what you're trying to do? What you really mean is this. I'm just trying to do the most comfortable thing. That's why you lie. You're like, no, 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 if, if I tell so-and-so the truth, they're going to be really upset, and it's going to be all this drama, and I'm going to have to deal with this, and then we're going to have so-and-so come into that, and it's just way too much issue, man. I'd rather just give them a little white lie, and by doing so, I make them feel better, 
and we're just loving each other. No, what you've done is you assume something. You know what you assume? You assume you are wiser than God. You assume that in your ability to lie, which is not God's idea of loving anyone, you assume that in your ability to lie to them, somehow you're going to help them. Right? And you're able to determine that by doing this, this will help them. The answer is what? You ain't God. You are not God. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll, I'll give you a real-life example, okay? My wife's at home. She's probably watching. She hates when I tell the story, but I'm going to tell it anyways because she's not here, right? So, uh, you know, when I, when, when I dated her for a long time, we dated for a long time, a long, long time, right? And, you know, she wasn't a believer. She wasn't a believer in the beginning. And, you know, in, in, in the beginning of it, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to convert her. I'm going to get her to come out to church. And she did, lovingly. She came out to church. She, the Bible I'm using right now is the Bible I bought for her. I was like, this is it. Baby, this is your word. Use it. This is going to help you for the rest of your life. Right? And now I'm using it. Right? What does that mean? Right? Right? Brought out to church. Brought out to the prayer meetings. We went out to prayer meetings together. It was great just watching her. And I, I think I've convinced myself, or at least I convinced everyone else around me, she's a believer. Right? But the reality is what? That wasn't the case. That wasn't the case. And God's, God's love line, God's love line was this. If you really love her, you let her go. And I'm saying, that's the dumbest line ever, God. That's the dumbest guideline you could have ever thought about. Do not be yoked with an unbeliever. What do you mean? You don't know, God. It's going to hurt her. She's going to be devastated. She's going to be broken. You're going to destroy her life forever. Don't do it, God. It's foolish. But then guess what? Eventually, God convicted me enough. I didn't think about the law. I just thought, like, I just got to obey. He's bigger than me. He knows more. I just, just got to obey. And when I finally broke up with her, right, on my birthday, uh, right, I'm a horrible man. When I finally broke up with her on my birthday, true to what? She was devastated. She hated me. She was like, I'm done with this Christianity. F you, right? And she got out of the door and just walked away. And so I said, see, God, I told you I was smart. If I just lied to her, for the, if I just lied to the whole world for the next, like, 20 years, we would have been fine. We would have been fine. Right? But I assumed what? I assumed I was wiser. I assumed I was the wiser one. I assumed, right, that I'm able to determine what is good for her. And what the story goes, right? We're married, so it's, it's a happy ending, right? The story goes... That I didn't know anything. See, I was thinking, God, by doing this, we're blocking all access to you. But God is saying, don't be stupid, Tony. By doing this, you're actually making the access to me. Didn't see it. Didn't know it. God is saying this, guys. You want to love your neighbor? You want to do your neighbor no harm? Well, here's how. Follow the love lines. Not your instinct. Or your wisdom, follow your love. And that's why every sin you do, every sin you do is an assault to God's wisdom. You guys realize that? When you sin, it's not because, like, oh, I sinned, so God hates me. No. You sin because God's saying, don't you know that I know what's better for you? Don't you know that if you would trust me, by doing this, you are going to love them. By not lying to them, by not stealing from them, by not coveting them, by not lusting after them, by not wanting to kill them in your mind and in your heart. You may not kill them physically, but by doing that, don't you recognize that I can actually 
love them better. Every sin is an assault to God's wisdom. And it's a failure of love. What am I trying to get you guys to think about here? The whole idea here, the whole passage is about loving your neighbor, your state, your city, your country. Loving the people outside. And the only way that which you can actually exercise love is that the God's word is there with it. All right? Let me give you a summary real fast. Pretty much on a, for a Christian, on one hand, as a believer, you are to love your country, you are to love your neighborhood, your city, your neighbors. You have a love debt to them. That's the relationship that you ought to be thinking about the moment you step out of your front door. I have a love debt to this place. Why? Because God tells me I have a love debt to this place. My new relationship to the world around me is that I have a love debt to them. On one hand, I recognize that. But on the other hand, a Christian does not show that love by compromising God's law. A believer shows that love by obeying God's law. You are not loving your neighbor when you are trying to lie. You are not loving your country when you cheat on your taxes, right? You are not loving your city when you don't care for what's happening in your city. You're not loving your people when you don't care what's happening to the people around you, your neighbors. Your love, which you owe continuously because of this new relationship that God has given to you, because the gospel bears witness to your heart, your new relationship to the world around you is you owe a love debt, but at the same time, that love cannot be administered apart from God's law. God's law are not guidelines, they're love lines. This is how you love them. So a Christian either shuts himself off from society, so I, you know what, I'm just going to be silent. I'm just not going to say anything. Who cares if you're hurting? Who cares if things are going bad around you? Who cares if you feel injustice? Who cares if you're emotionally distraught? Who cares? I'm just going to be silent because if I'm silent long enough, everything should be okay. Everything should kind of come back to normal. People kind of wake up. A Christian should not be silent because why? We have a love debt. But at the same time, a Christian is not meant to conform to the way things are done. We love them by God's law. And when we do this, check this out, guys. When, when we do this, okay, hang in there, okay, hang in there, church, right? When we do this, this is the best part. When we do this, when we see, when, when we seek to love in this way our neighbors, the people around us, we begin to see the good that can be brought into our society. You, you, you begin to recognize the good and the love that you can actually bring and the changes that you can bring into your society, okay? But when we fail and forget to, what we see is we see the saturation of sin deeper and deeper into the world around us. God puts up four restraints. I want to share that. Can you guys put up that, that slide? God put up four restraints, right, four specific restraints to, to, uh, that God uses to curb the brokenness of sin. The whole issue of racism, it's an issue of sin. The whole issue of adultery, issue of sin. The whole issue of hate is sin. And the way in which God has used, what he has used to curb sin in this world, that he knows is if you let it go, it will deprave, infiltrate, and destroy humanity from the inside out. 
So there's four systems in which he placed in part to make sure sin is kept at bay until Jesus Christ returns and eradicates sin forever. The four systems in which he has placed here is meant to curve that. Let me walk through this with you because I want, I want you guys to see that if you live this way, loving your neighbor, recognizing that you have a debt of love, but also I will not compromise God's law in my actions of giving off God's, uh, the debt of love, right? We see flourishing. We see goodness. We see peace in the land. But what are the four things that happens, okay, that curves the sin? Check this out. First is our conscience. The first thing that God placed as a restraint against sin is your conscience. The Bible says the law is written on man's heart. Whether you know it or not, you understand that there is such a thing as a right and a wrong. Yes? You know what is right and what is wrong. If you're a believer or you're not a believer, you know something is right and you know something is wrong. Objectively, not subjectively, you know that this cannot be good, this cannot be right. We know that when we saw that man on the street with his knees on his neck, no matter how, who that man is or what he has done or how he did it, it was wrong. It was wrong. Right? It was wrong. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The conscience is, the, is God's first restraint. But guess what we can do? We can overturn the conscience. You know how? When we no longer al- allow God's love lines God's laws, God's way of showing you how to love someone, be our guiding post, be our example. When we no longer allow that, but we begin to what? We begin to create and declare our own laws, our own false laws. And we turn something that's immoral and we say, this is just. When we we take something that is broken, we say, yeah, you know what? It's no longer bad. It's good. And when we take that restraint off, we end up Wiping away the first restraint that God has placed. I'll give an example. Maybe, maybe this is too much for you guys. I'll give you an example. Very simple. So, so many years ago when you young men and young women, right, when the first time you watched porn, right, when the first time you watched porn, well, the first guilt and shame that you felt was this is probably wrong, this shouldn't be right, something is messed up about this. But over time, you changed the law. You changed the law. Because over time you begin to say what? It's biological. Everyone does it. It's natural. And then your conscience begins to do what? Begins to feel numb to it. You're numb to it. And all of a sudden, sexual, the sexual sin begins to infiltrate into your life. And guess what? It passes on. <laughs> Not just through you, but it passes on to the legacies around you. And it infects. It infects the relationship you have with your future wife. It infects the relationship you have with your children. It begins to seep. When the conscience no longer declares, hey, God, how am I supposed to love my neighbor? How am I supposed to love that girl that I'm watching or that guy that I'm watching on that screen, right? Don't watch them. Don't. But when we begin to say, you know, it's natural. It's biological can't help it. What are we saying? God, I know better of how to love my neighbor. I love better. What, I know better what to do. Your conscience is seared. The first restraint is broken. You guys follow me? Right? I can use this for any sin. Right? Any sin we talk about. 
Remember, the sin is, itself is not God hates me because I've done wrong. The sin is you fail to love your neighbor and you fail to love God. It's an assault to God's wisdom. So after the conscience comes what? The family. The family is the second restraint that God places here to curb sins and his brokenness. What does the family do? The family's job is to teach, to create discipline, to pass on righteousness to its people, to its children, to pass on the spiritual legacy of who God is and what he has called us as a family to do in this world. But when you begin to break down the family, when you begin to re redefine the family, an institution made by God, by the way, when you begin to reimagine and redefine the institution that God created for the flourishing of man, for the prosperity of the world, what happens? You lose the second restraint. There's no discipline now. Family does, is, the father is not there because the father doesn't know that he's meant to be a father. Husband beats his wife and runs off because the husband doesn't realize that he's supposed to love his wife like Christ loves the church. And we see brokenness in the family and we say, oh, that's fine. That happens. It's the way it is. No, it's not. The guidelines, the love lines, he's saying, be men. Be the woman that God has made you to be. Bring flourishing for wherever you step. But when the family is broken, when the discipline is broken, when the passing on of spiritual righteousness and legacy is broken, then we see sin do what? Infiltrate even deeper. Yes? And we go even deeper than that, then we get to the government. Yes, yes, Romans chapter 13 tells us that God sets up the government as a way to curve sin. You know why? Because the government's job is to do what? It's designed by God. It's called God's servant. The king, whoever's in charge, is God's servant to do what? Punish those who do evil and protect those who do good. That is the, that is the role of the state to the people in which it governs. That is the ultimate role, whether they are believers or not. That's not the point. God has used non-believing nations, pagan nations, to rule God's people. But the role of the state was to punish those who do wrong and protect those who do good. Now check this out. When you no longer allow for the government to have its authority, when the government's authority is rejected and assaulted, when the government is no longer able to protect those who do good and no longer able to punish those who do bad, what do you see? You see the third restraint broken. And you see it infiltrate deeper into our society. And ultimately, the last and final restraint is the church. When the church was the family. See, when the church lives out its creed, lives out its foundation, lives out its why, we begin to see flourishing because the church, God calls the people of God to do what? Have a new relationship with your neighbors. Have a new relationship with your people. Have a new relationship with your enemies, he says. But when the church, who's supposed to be salt and light, begins to capitulate to the culture around you, begins to flow with the culture, when the word of God is no longer sufficient and you got to get stats to back up your claims, when the word of God is no longer good enough to tell you how and what to live, no, when God no longer, God's wisdom is no longer important enough that you need to find some sort of PhD, doctorate, journal, medicate, sociologist to give you the stats, to give you the information, you've lost 
the picture of what the church is meant to be. When the church no longer sees God's word as sufficient, we begin to shut ourselves off from the world or we begin to conform to it. We lost the last restraint. See, when we live to love our neighbors by upholding God's law, God's word, love your neighbor. We have the debt to do it. We, sometimes in, in, in this community and sometimes in our church and sometimes even in our world, what I see all the time is the church like, love, love, love. Yes, you are correct. You have a debt of love. You have to love your neighbor. If you're telling me that the gospel in your life is there but you don't love your neighbor, I'm not, I question whether the gospel is really in your life. But then you stop there. Because the loving of your neighbors is only done by the pairing it with God's law. So let me give you a second. Let me, let me talk about racism real fast. Racism is a sin. Right? It's a sin. Easy as that. We talked about that. It's the sin of racism is self-righteousness. It's you believing that you are superior to somebody else. And guess what happened? What do we see? We see the conscience begins to take hold of it when we believe in that. When we, when we no longer believe that man was made in the image of God, that man's life is valuable, that man's life has purpose and worth. The conscience, when we redefine the law, when we give it a false narrative, we begin to say, you know what? Yeah, man is made in the image of God, but you are less than that. The conscience is your first restraint is broken. We see the sin of racism seep deeper into our conscious mind. Then we see the family. When the family no longer passes on truth and justice and righteousness to our children. When the fathers go around yelling and screaming about certain things. When moms you know, are, are, are bigoted and, and, and racist in their actions. What we pass on is not good and, and beautiful things or righteous things. We pass on this poison that seeps into the very heart of the community and your children, and it's a legacy that continues. I remember I shared with you this story, right? I used to te- I used to teach at Elite, and one, one time I had a student. He's, it's a Korean student. I'm sorry for all the Koreans in the house, right? Korean student. Homie just came up to me. He's like, yo, Tony. He's like, yo, I don't like black people. I'm like, all right, all right. Thank God we're not canceled yet. You know, this is still early, and that's that time, right? He said, Wait, well, okay. I asked him, do you know any black people? He said, no. I'm like, oh, okay. So you cannot like someone you never met or talked to before. Yes. So why? Because my mom used to own a liquor store. And we always got robbed. So by who? Yes. Said, oh, black people. Said, yes. So all black people are bad. That's why you should love, hate them. Said, yes. So you know our president is black, right? So he's mixed. So it doesn't count. Right? I'm like, all right. All right. You see? It doesn't just stop at the parents. The legacy passes on to children. The children have no, no idea of what it is. And then we see the government. When the government stops protecting its people, punishing those who do wrong, those who are living unjustly, and stops protecting the people who do good, its citizens, we see the sin of racism seep deeper into the community. And then, and then, this is the most painful part. The church, when we stay silent. Because we didn't want to rock the boat. 1960s. The church knew that it was wrong, but they stayed silent. The sin was that they didn't want to create, this is, there, there must be another way to do it. 
There must be another way to address the issue. There has to be another way. And so they stay silent. And what we see was the sin of racism spread throughout our country. But here's the beautiful part. You guys ready? Here's the beautiful part. There's good news. Because the gospel is a self-correcting mechanism. I said this before. The gospel is a self-correcting mechanism. The gospel itself is beautiful and pure. It's the people who handle it that's messed up. But yet, but yet, check this out. When God's people, when the church, when the family of God, God's children, his sons and daughters, allow for the gospel to bear witness again, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that implies to my life, when you let it bear witness to your heart again, what happens? The gospel narrative comes forth. When the church finally gets the point that man was made in the image of God, that means all man is valuable. All man has worth. All man has things, rights to be protected. What happens? What happens? The people of God goes out and the church tells God's people, go out there, love your neighbor, seek for the good of your country, serve your nation, serve your city, serve your state, take positions, do what you need to do, love them, but do not do it by disobeying God's command. Love them while holding on to your identity as a believer. You have a love debt to them, and, and what do we see? We see the government changing. As the government changes, as, as the church, the family of God begins to keep speaking it speaks into the life of a man. You know, how do you know how to be a man of God? Is it because of the family? No. You learn to be a man of God. You learn to be a husband. You learn to be a wife, a mother by the church. It is when the church begins to say, this is what it looks like to be a godly man. This is what it looks like to be a godly woman. This is what it looks like to create a spiritual legacy. This is your role and your responsibility. Do not forget that. Do not leave your wife. Do not leave your husband. Do not forsake your children. Teach them, guide them, walk with them. And when the church speaks into that, what happens? It begins to speak into the conscience of man. The individual conscience begins to be restored and renewed. And what we see, what we see, is sin kept at bay. And what we see is believers living out their love for God, their love for their neighbors, while keeping their identity in God. Because why? The gospel spoke to the hearts. You guys follow me? You guys follow me? Is this making sense? I hope it's making sense, right? Now I know this, okay? This is it, my last point right here. That was, that was my point. That was, that was my first point. I told you it was long, sorry, all right? My last point. The question is, is how do we do this, PT? It's nice to understand it in the kind of broad sense. It's nice to understand in terms of of, of hearing the words, but PT, how do I actually do this? Three things, three applications. You guys ready? Verse 11, check this out. How do we do this? How do we love our neighbors? By keeping the commandments of the law. How do I do that? Seems so broad, so big, so huge. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Paul is saying this. First, you got to understand the present time. Understand the present time. Understand that you are a citizen 
of the United States of America. If you guys are watching me from a different country, put in your country there, okay? But you are a citizen of that country. At the same time, you are citizens of the eternal kingdom, which is what? Breaking in. You are a citizen of this country. You are a citizen of God's kingdom, and it's breaking in. We are to realize the brief nature of this life that's passing away, the nature of this world. We are to start building our lives on eternal things, the things that last, truth, God, love, righteousness. you got to recognize, if I'm going to build anything here, check this out. If I'm going to build anything here on this earth, I'm only going to build what will last eternally. You guys get me? I am called to build something here on this earth. I've been placed here to build something on this earth, but what I build should last eternally, not temporary. That's why when I, when, when all you college brothers, your major is so important. Stop jumping around, pick one and make it last. Because what you build with your job, what you build with your family is meant to be eternal, not temporary. You're not looking for a six-income or six-figure salary and then retire at 57. That's temporary. you got to understand the present time. You live here, but you're investing in eternity. You're investing in eternity. And what is eternal? The soul of a man. The soul of a woman. Is it not? And when you, when you meet God, he's not going to ask, yo, how many, how, when did you retire? 45, good job, man. You made it. Good job, man. What, what was your major? Communication. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good. What did you communicate? Oh, go, oh, awesome. He's not going to ask that question. He's going to ask, what did you invest in that's still here in my kingdom? Because that's gone. What's still here? What's still here? Is my truth still here? Is my righteousness still here? Did you invest in people for their eternal sake? Understand the present time. Secondly, 12b. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Paul is saying here, behave accordingly. We are to imagine that the day has dawned, Jesus is right before us, and therefore the question is, what am I going to do if Jesus is actually here? Right? If Jesus was actually here, if he broke through into this world, and he's before us, ask yourself, now how would I behave? Is it through orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, dissension, and jealousy? What is really eternally important? Eternally important. If Jesus was here, you think he's going to tell you to focus on what is temporarily important? Or he's going to ask you, did you inv- or, or you are going to naturally say, I need to invest in what is internally important. What will last forever? Let me give you guys a gut check real fast. You guys ready? Black lives matter. It does. They do. 
But here's my question. One month ago, back the life is temporary, yes? 60, 70, 80, 90, you're dead, right? Life is temporary. A month ago. As passionate as you are and as you were, or still is, about Black Lives Matter, which is, again, important, how passionate and how How passionate and how deep was your heart for black souls? What's eternal? What's going to last forever? See, sometimes, I'm not going to lie, when I, when I see a disconnect, it, it, it bothers me. It bothers me because it tells me a couple things. One, either I've done a very bad job in teaching you guys not to see the gospel faithfully and to care more about the temporary things and the eternal things, or two. It bothers me because it may be kind of like, maybe they don't know it as much as I think they do. Maybe the gospel hasn't broken into their heart as much as I would have liked it to. You see, when, when, when there's a care, when there's a fear, just a month ago, even two months ago, there is a constant awkwardness and fear that we have about just preaching the eternal, life-giving gospel. Just a few months ago, it was, it was pulling tooth and nail to get you guys to think about the eternal life of someone's soul. And all of a sudden, what I see is just, whoosh, I want to care for their temporary life right now. If that's there, I get this. If I, see, if, if I recognize that this passion in this heart was there, then I understand why you would want to care for their life now. You're fighting for them because you love them. Not just temporary, you love them eternally. But when this is not there, and also I see this, my question is, do you really love At least, are you loving the way God is calling us to love? Understand the present time. Behave accordingly. And lastly, verse 14. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This is what it's saying here. It means we have to live as if we are clothed in Christ. We are clothed in his righteousness, but we have to imagine that we ourselves are the representation of Christ himself. So imagine if you have a man and a woman, they're dressed up in their tuxedos and their gowns, it's a nightwear, it's formal, it's dignified, right? Wouldn't it be weird if they start going to the gym, 24-hour fitness, and start running in there? They're like, That's, that doesn't really fit. That doesn't really fit what you're wearing here, right? You should be wearing the spandex or the, the leggings or whatever it is that, the really tight stuff that the girls wear, like, anyways, right? You should be wearing that if you go to the gym, but you're wearing your gown, you're wearing your tuxedos, it doesn't fit into the situation, if you, forget, if you forget and you start walking, you actually damage the clothing and you look kind of awkward. In the same way, move that to the Christian living, we are to remember who we are wearing all the time. The question that comes out of every situation that you face is, who am I wearing and what is he saying about this situation? What is he saying about this problem? What is he saying about this atmosphere? You have to ask you have to remember who it is that you're wearing. What did he do for me? Remember the gospel bearing witness to my heart. What did he want from me? My salvation? Who am I, God, that you would care for me? Who is man that you would care for him? The son of man that you would lift him up and make him lower than the heavenly beings? 
what it cost him to make it happen. When you begin to allow that gospel to penetrate and bear witness to your heart, then, then church, check this out. Then you're able to love your neighbor, love your neighborhood, love your city, love your state, love your country. Because when you recognize what he has poured into your heart, you're going to love them not by your own wisdom, not by what you think is right, not by your own ability, but you're going to love them with his word. You're not going to lie to them. You're not going to manipulate them. You're not going to go with the flow. You're going to say, this is God's eternal word that has tested, lasted the test of time. I will not shake from this, and I will not move from it. And it is sufficient. It is sufficient for me in this generation, this time and age. Don't let anyone ever tell you that the Bible is insufficient to speak into whatever cycle of life we live. If it was able to speak into communist America back in the days, it's able to speak into woke America today, okay? It's able to speak in every generation, every time. The only issue is, do you know it enough to let it speak into your heart? And do you love God enough to actually learn it? Because when you love your neighbor, you love him with God's word. That's what it means to be the church. Amen? You guys follow me? All right, let's pray.